Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tegal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Roger Elias, Chief Executive Officer at Stellis Biopharma. A fellow Brit and a fellow good-looking Brit, I should say, Roger is a graduate of the University of Southampton and then did a PhD in biotechnology at the University of Cambridge. His experience of the biopharma CDMO space in particular spans over 30 years, including roles with the likes of Lonza, Diosynth, KBI Biopharma, Cytovance Biologics, Eden Biodesign, Allegan, and Avid Bioservices before joining Stellis. During that time, I believe at some point in the 90s, he also moved to North America and now lives in California. Hey, Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you. My great pleasure to be here. Um, I have to start by saying if you think I'm good looking, you need your eyesight tested a little, but uh, I appreciate the kind introduction. I actually did sleep in my contact lenses by an accident last night, so that could be that could be part of the reason. Um, all right, Roger, just to start off with, um, I know you're very well known in the sector and you've you know, got your connections all over the world, but for those that, that haven't come across you before, it'd be great uh, to just give a little, a little bit of an overview of you and maybe how you got into the sector you know, from, from university. And I'd love you to also just talk about that uh, career path that you've been through. It's incredible to read uh, about the, the businesses that you've, you've worked for in that time. So yeah, if you can spend the first five minutes just talking through your career, that would be wonderful. Sure, I'd love to. It's, uh, it's a sadly long story nowadays. Uh, I earned all of this white hair. Um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, as you pointed out, in the UK, uh, southwest England, I guess diametrically opposite to the part of the country you come from. So hopefully people don't have too much trouble with our accents here on this, uh, this podcast. Uh, I was, uh, as you pointed out, I was fortunate uh, to do a, an undergraduate degree at University of Southampton and then a PhD at University of Cambridge in uh, broad biological sciences, uh, biotechnology. Uh, we were actually the very first group that uh, joined up to do a PhD at Cambridge under what was then the newly formed Biotechnology Centre under uh, Professor Chris Lowe. So uh, we spent the first few few weeks of our PhD lives uh, painting and putting up shelves and uh, getting the labs in order. Long time ago now. Um, yeah, career-wise, I uh, the work I was doing at Cambridge was uh, immobilized enzymes, looking at enzyme kinetics on solid-state surfaces and so on and so forth, so broadly enzymology, but it was applicable to uh, biosensor work. So I joined actually first a, a company called Medisense, which was subsequently uh, acquired by Abbott a long time after I left. Uh, Medisense was in the UK, but also had a uh, a small operation in the, at that time in actually where you are in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, so we were, you know, it was true, you know, entrepreneurial lab work. We were making it up as we were going along. It was a lot of fun. I crossed the Atlantic. Actually, the story is I, I basically got a call in the lab one day uh, from our chairman, a gentleman called Ron Zwanziger, and said, uh, you know, you can find yourself a, a partner, get on a plane and get over to Boston and work with some consultants. And we want a couple of these things filed by Christmas. And this was, I think, October. Uh, crazy, crazy ask. Um, picked my buddy out the lab, um, and we went over and worked with a consultant. Uh, but we, we got it done. Uh, these, this were, uh, these were applications for diagnostic products uh, in the diabetes space prim- primarily. And actually, um, sort of distant relatives now of that original technology that, that we developed, you can still see on your supermarket shelves or your pharmacy shelves here in, in the States, certainly. I f- 
having done that successfully, I was then asked if I wanted to stay in the States. That's what got me across the Atlantic. Um, so I jumped at the opportunity to, to stay. I was young, free and single, uh, got a visa and subsequently green card um, and moved fairly quickly to a, a more commercial role. So what I was doing initially was essentially product management. Um, you know, we were selling this to uh, selling the concept of this new technology to, to pharmacists, to nurse practitioners, and you know, on and on. Um, a lot of fun for me. Traveled all over the states. I think I did well over forty of the fifty states here in in the United States um, in a very quick time period. I think I essentially lived in Marriott hotels at the time. Uh, but I was recruiting and training sales reps and all this type of stuff. It, it was a lot of fun. But ultimately, you know, once I got to doing, you know, supplements in the Sunday papers and things like that, for me, it was getting too far away from the science and the you know, technology. Uh, so I had an opportunity through, through a friend, pure dumb luck is how I got into the contract manufacturing business, frankly. A good friend of mine was at that time working at uh, Celtec Biologics, um, you know, the UK entity. He was based in the States, but they were looking to uh, build with various you know, government tax incentives uh, a manufacturing facility in the US on the side of the Pease Air Force Base in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, just north of where you are now. Um, and they needed somebody to do business development on the West Coast, basically, uh, based out of you know, still based on the East Coast. So I jumped at it, something new and different. I didn't know a show cell from a hole in the head. Um, you know, we were really making this stuff up as we were going along to a large extent. Um, back in those days, we didn't, you know, we were still deciding whether we were going to be using airlift bioreactors or stirred tank reactors. And, you know, we in the labs, we were using actually mainly NS0 cells at that time. And if we got, you know, one or 200 mix per liter out of the cell line, we were all celebrating. Uh, it was really early days. Um, but we we had an office uh, in, literally in the old bus station uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we were the team that sort of put the shovel in the ground to build the first part of what is now Lonza's you know, enormous facility there in Portsmouth. So really formative days. Uh, still, still lots of friends and colleagues in the industry from those times. It was, uh, you know, in many ways the Wild West, but we, we certainly had a lot of fun with it um, and were ultimately successful. So we... We built the, I think we built the first 76,000 square feet there. Um, obviously, it's a much, much larger facility now, uh, based around, at that time, 2,000 liter airlift reactors, bioreactors, uh, and started going out and trying to persuade people to, uh, you know, to part, uh, or at least to basically give some control over the development of their products to, to a load of crazy you know, young, largely British people who were building this business. And at that time, I think, you know, there was a there was an established contract manufacturing market for APIs and you know small molecule work, but really nobody was handing over their precious biologics, uh, mainly monoclonal antibodies at that time. We were all mammalian all the time at that point. But I think the uh, the Anfield situation, when you know that was the first product that went to phase three pivotal trials, you know, a lot of money sunk into facilities, and then suddenly it bombed in the clinic, um, and that you know, a late phase. And I think that was the one that was the poster child opened people's eyes and they said, oh my goodness, you know, why are we sinking you know, millions and millions of dollars of capital at risk when we could could be putting our, you know, manufacturing with these guys at Celtech and, you know, they, they can do it for us on a fee-for-service basis. So really formative years, really, market-making years, I guess, for the biologic CDMO market. Um, I think Bio Intermediaire in the Netherlands was about the only other company doing it at that time. Uh, we were successful, so we ultimately sold the Celtech Biologics arm or division of Celtech to Lonza. So 
stayed with Ronza. Uh, again, ended up running North American sales and marketing for that biologics business. Uh, we were, you know, licensing the GS Expression system, which is you know still out there and doing well. Um, and uh, you know, saw you know really quite dramatic at the time. Um, improvements in the way we were manufacturing these products and, and delivering them to customers. Uh, I was subsequently, that was obviously up in New Hampshire, I was poached away to North Carolina, uh, which is where I've been for until about three years ago. I was there for sort of 17, 18 years, perhaps a little more. But I joined what at the time was Covance Biotechnology Services, and we fairly quickly sold it to Diasynth, and it's now part of the Fujifilm Diasynth organization. And we basically replicated uh, you know, what Celtech had done up in New Hampshire. Uh, with the the one sort of quirk that we we added, you know, we had microbial capabilities as well. Uh, so VP of business development there for a number of years, and and then went sort of serial entrepreneur for a while. So I was a member of the founding uh, management team at KBI Biopharma. Um, KBI was already a small company on the on the campus at Georgia Tech, but they were developing technologies for high density um, cell culture. A little ahead of the game, in ahead of the head of the curve in many ways, but we uh, we converted that to a, a revenue generating CDMO model. And I, it's, you know, I'm delighted that, you know, KBI continues to do so well, much as a somewhat parallel story with Cytovance, uh, Cytovance Biologics in Oklahoma City, also doing very well right now. Uh, and again, very early days, we carved out basically some labs that were available uh, by the by the sale of a company to Genzyme, left some labs available, and we we took those and, and converted that into a CDMO business. Um, lots of uh, lots of interesting stories around fundraising and all these things during these times, but uh, we'll probably have to save those uh, save those for a beer or something at some point. Up the side events, another interesting story. Went to Eden Biodesign. Uh, so Eden uh, was. Um, the, they raised a lot of money basically through the UK government to build a facility in Liverpool in the UK. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, yes. Yeah, very nice clinical scale facility. Um, I came on board to try and establish a bridgehead into the US market. You know, Eden was already established. But uh, fairly quickly afterwards, we, we had to abandon our CDMO plans because we, were, uh, we had an equity minority owner who themselves were acquired by Watson Pharmaceuticals, a uh, big generics player here in the US. At the time, I was, I'm like, who the heck is Watson Pharmaceuticals? Quite honestly, I, I didn't know anything about the generics business. But they, they acquired one of our minority owners. Uh, and as part of that, uh, they took a look, came in and did diligence on us. And, and it happened to coincide with when uh, Paul Bazzaro was the CEO of, of Watson at the time, and they were looking to move into the biosimilars market. Um, so they looked, you know, the way I tell the story anyway, they, you know, they took a look at Eden and said, oh, well, that's handy. You know, let's see if we can buy the rest of the organization. And they successfully did. Uh, so we became part of the, the uh, what then was the Watson Pharmaceutical Organization, at which point I assumed I'd have to be looking for a new job. But uh, they, literally uh, the gentleman in charge of the brand division at Watson said to me, you know, Roger, we can't even spell protein, let alone make them and develop them and partner them. Uh, so will you stay and do traditional business development with us? And at that time, we were looking at biosimilars. So very interesting ride um, during that period. We went through a number of name changes. Um, so Watson was very acquisitive, uh, went out and bought Forest Labs, bought Warner Chilcott, uh, bought Activists. Uh, the Icelandic company and changed the name of our company to Activists, and then, as, as is fairly well known, sold the 
you basically sold the generic portfolio, small molecule portfolio to Teva, and then ultimately acquired Allegan and took the Allegan name. So it was quite a ride there for not so very many years. Um, during that time, you know, I was instrumental, certainly not just me, but really talented team, we put together a a collaboration for biosimilar developments with Amgen, uh, and those products are still doing very well, both in the market and in development. Um, So that was a highlight for me, working with Amgen is is a a delight. But ultimately, it got to be big pharma. And, you know, for me, I, you know, a little bit, you know, not really fast paced enough. I think, you know, didn't feel as if I could make as much difference as I could have done in a smaller organization. Uh, so uh, actually took a took a package and, and consulted for for a little while, which I enjoyed. But uh, we then had the opportunity to join Avid Bioservices, and Avid was a, a carve out of a manufacturing organization within what was then Peregrine Pharmaceuticals, uh, which was ultimately a failed uh, biotech company, if you like. A lot of money pumped in, never got products to market, but it developed a really nice manufacturing infrastructure. Publicly traded company, commercial, you know commercial licenses from the FDA for a number of products. Uh, so we we had a, had fun for a you know sort of two and a half years um, positioning Avid as an independent dedicated CDMO and obviously Avid also doing doing well. And then finally the you know my my most recent move really in many ways proving to be the most fascinating of all, not not least because of the COVID situation. Uh, so I was looking for something interesting. Um, you know as as as, as we've said, I've, I've been around the block a few times here. So I had the opportunity to join Stellis Biopharma. Stellis, very interesting organization based in Bangalore, India, although we have a U.S. subsidiary here in Southern California as well, although it's, it's primarily administrative and commercial at this point. But Stellis is an organization that's evolved over the last you know, several years and has built really remarkable manufacturing infrastructure in, uh, in India, in Bangalore. We have two armed business models. So we are developing some biosimilar products of our own and uh, the Stellis Biotherapeutics, relatively small portfolio, uh, but making good progress with those. But of particular interest to today's discussion, we have what we call Stellis Biosource, which is a really an end-to-end uh, CDMO uh, aimed at the biologic market. Uh, and uh, we're, we're pretty well kept secret at this point, although I think that's going to change in the, in the coming few months, to be honest. Uh, we have you know, facilities are up and running. We have an R&D facility uh, with some small-scale CGMP capacity. Uh, but in particular, we have a really very impressive 200,000-square-foot-plus uh, GMP facility uh, located pretty close to the airport in, in Bangalore. We have, it's for me, it's exciting because we have uh, both microbial and mammalian being installed, actually mammalian at the moment, very nearly there, uh, capacity on the drug substance side, uh, but we also have drug products. So we have, you know, vials, cartridges, pre-filled syringes, lyophilization, we do device assembly uh, and packaging. So we really do the, you know, we're pretty close to an end-to-end sort of full service provider that nobody's heard of. Uh, and for me, that's tremendously exciting because the market, of course, right now is even before COVID came along, uh, you know, the market's pretty exciting. That's that's a long-winded uh, version of <laughs> I don't mind. I, I, I wanted you to kind of go into detail and, and because I think you know, I think just the, not just the length of, of your time in the industry, but the, the types of roles that you've done, the types of companies you've worked for. Um, and I actually have a million questions and I have to be uh, selective on what I, what I ask. I wanted to just, you were at Lonza in the 90s and I just want to, 
you know, London now is obviously one of the biggest CDMOs in the world and it's, you know, it's a huge, huge business. And, you know, back then in the nineties, did, did you have any idea that, that, that company would go on to, to do what it, what it's achieved? Did you see, I suppose, the, the potential in the business back then? No, we were, we were in awe, to be honest. Um, you know, Lonza's done amazing things and you know, nothing but great respect for, for Lonza as an organization. Uh, yeah, when we joined, you know, again, it was much the same as I said when, uh, when we were acquired as Eden Biodesign. I mean, I was like, Lonza? Who the heck's Lonza? Um, you know, they had obviously a, a good small molecule um, business at that point of time. And Lonza was in, you know, paints and additives and, and still is, you know, it's not just the biologics business, huge multinational, uh, company, uh, but really had a, a small, um, sm- relatively small microbial offering out of Visp in Switzerland, up in the mountains. Uh, so we were, you know, hugely impressed, go to visit and they have a you know, huge facilities with locomotives running through the middle of the facilities and everything else. So, you know, even at that time, we, you know, we were, our minds were blown by the scale, the industrial nature, if you like, of, of what was going on. But we, I don't think we ever imagined that the, the sort of, um, I don't diminish it, but the, you know, relatively speaking, the sort of Mickey Mouse scale of production that we were doing at the time, I don't think we ever imagined that the biologic business in general, CDMO, let alone you know, what Lons has done, uh, would, you know, would go the way it's gone. Uh, you, know, you see the money that you know, Samsung and others are putting into it in a massive scale of facilities. It, it's a different world from, from what we envisioned back then. It was clear that you know, Lonza was really dedicated to the space. I think that was very evident, and, and all credit to, to Lonza for doing that. Uh, again, in many ways, that still still a company that everybody you know looks up to as an industry leader. Yeah, and when you, when you know when you look at your experience, Roger, you've you've had a bit of everything. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've you worked for effectively a big pharma company. You worked in large CDMOs. You've worked in. Um, kind of fast growing CDMOs and you've also almost been in that start of an entrepreneurial phase and that's putting you on the spot but do you have a favorite in terms of not necessarily the the roles that you've done but the particular phase of a company's growth where uh, you know what strikes me when you're talking through the, your experiences you can almost sense the excitement behind the ones that were in those early stages and developing and on going somewhere probably like Stellis is today is that the phase that you can add the greatest value and actually you you tend to enjoy the most yeah i think so for me personally you nailed it on the head you used the word growth so the true startup phase is you know fascinating it's uh you know but it, it's you know hard work you're you know literally raising money on a knife edge you know great experience but for me what i enjoy most is you know is growing something so I, where i'm very fortunate at stellar you know, we're very well capitalized we're you know related to the strides group of companies so and the you know the facilities are there if you like well they are not if you like they are there you can go and you know bang on the bioreactors and meet the people and everything else um but it's taking the organization and really making it into a you know a truly agile you know, in the cdmo space in particular you know really understanding the markets and the customers and you know the agility that's required in this space it is not an easy business you know we're highly regulated obviously incredibly technically complicated and molding a you know an organization you know not just from the point of view of being successful on the you know the financial front and delivering returns to shareholders and everything else but really growing an organization i think it's it's a it's a people business that we're in. Uh, you know, bioreactors don't run themselves and forklift trucks don't drive themselves and proteins don't purify themselves. Uh, you know, we're, in a, we're very fortunate to be in a, 
you know, in a people business and being able to use our, you know, knowledge and experience, you know, to grow things and to make things happen. Um, you know, we uh, still, you know, to this day, I'm, you know, some, it gets perhaps over preached a little bit, but it's very motivating to be able to, you know, more quickly or more efficiently or in, in other ways, improve delivery of patients to customers. Uh, and while obviously, you know, the pharma and the biotech companies are the, the real experts at this, especially, you know, research stage of course and everything else you know the cdmos have really contributed dramatically i think to improvements in you know how we deliver these products to customers we're we're you know it's quite quite interesting um and i i think uh, yeah, we're gonna have a discussion about it next monday in one of your, your round tables. but you know innovation it's hard for cdmos to truly innovate you know, at a really fundamental level because, you know, financial constraints and, you know, what we're doing is working on behalf of customers so we don't get to take too many risks with other people's products and so on and so forth. But because of the, the sheer breadth of projects we see, um, you know, you if you're a, you know, an engineer, an operator, whatever you are in a CDMO right now, um, you, you're getting experience in, in dog ears. I mean, it's amazing the experience you can gain in a short period of time at a CDMO in the biologics, certainly. Um, and that, that's the stuff that's really motivating. That's the stuff that's fun. It, it's yeah, making, making things hum, I guess, for me. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And you, you, you talked a little bit earlier about your experience in uh, in the site in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and almost, I suppose, starting that facility from scratch and building it from a blank canvas. And so I just wanted to ask about, you know, how that initial, I suppose, uh, venture into the biologic space as a, as a CDMO, how does that differ from today? So what, what has changed in that time period? Uh, you know, presumably things are a lot more efficient and uh, you know, a little bit more um, technically competent than they are, you know, than they were 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But can you kind of paint a picture of what life was like back, you know, back then versus, say, you know, the facilities that you, you have at Stellis these days? Yeah, I think it, it's maybe, I'm thinking on the fly here, it's probably three key areas of difference. One, you know, one is the commercial and the market side of it. Then there's the pure technology and then probably the you know the breadth of what we're doing now. So on the commercial side, as I alluded earlier, I mean, we we didn't know for sure at the time whether, you know, people would allow us to, you know, take on manufacturing, even from a regulatory point of view. You know, we didn't have BLAs and things like that. We had separate, you know, establishment licenses and product licenses to deal with and all of these complications. Um, so again, we were sort of making it up as we were going along to a certain extent. Um, obviously now, you know, the, the CDMO market in general is you know, incredibly well established. Um, although, you know, still very fragmented as well at the same time. Um, but the market is, you know, the concept and the market is established. So I think that's a major difference. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we didn't know necessarily, we had an idea. We, we tried to persuade the customers of what it is they wanted us to do and let us do and what we could do, uh, but we didn't know for sure that, you know, how it would work out. So that, that's a very obvious change. Um, I think, you know, on the technology side, um, you know, if we just focus even on, you know, what we had back in those early days at Celtec Lonza, I mean, we were all mammalian and all drug substance at that time. Um, but, you know, we've seen such massive improvements um, in, in, 
productivity and cost of goods and throughput, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, it's a it's a combination of things. Certainly on the cell culture side, we've you know we we benefit from you know, vastly improved you know specific productivities and titers, improved cell lines and everything else. But it, it's a you know it's a complicated jigsaw. That that enough is that alone has not got us to where we are. You know we have the single use systems now. We're turning over facilities much more quickly. Uh, you know we're purifying proteins more efficiently and more quickly. And I think that's an area, incidentally, that I think we need more work on. You know we've you know we're now churning out instead of the one or two hundred migs per liter in an NS zero cell all those years ago back in Portsmouth, you know, we're, we're churning out, you know, eight or 10 or five or whatever it is, gram per liter products now, but it's the downstream that's, you know, typically the bottleneck at those sort of levels. You know, we have high density, you know, N minus one reactors and all these tremendous innovations. But uh, so without doubt, we are much, much more efficient um, at manufacturing these products than we used to be. But I think we have a long way to go. I mean, we're still really interesting innovations coming along um so that's you know that's a motivating thing but you know we're doing it very differently and then of course the class of products have grown as well you know we're no longer just churning out antibodies or you know perhaps insulins or whatever it was at the time we started with on the microbial side you know cell and gene therapies and yeah on and on i mean it's just the 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 innovation within the industry Broadly, the pharma industry, pharma markets has you know has driven tremendous changes in the CDMO space as well. So we have you know we have both generalists and specialists out there. We have huge multinationals. We have really innovative small companies coming into the marketplace and, and able to make a difference. Uh, again, and the, honestly, the markets. Uh, if you look at the multiples that are being attracted now for some you know merger and acquisition activity in the last few years, really quite remarkable. So you know. Wall Street, if you like, private equity especially, has really woken up to the potential. And we've got companies that are delivering results. And it's a, it's, I've always said it's a long, everything we do is a long, slow burn. You know, the, you know, the processes themselves, if you're growing choke cells, you know, the darn things only double once a day. It'd be nice if they were quicker. But so we have long processes. We have very long sales cycles. I mean, you know, we have long clinical development um, cycles that we really have to go through before we can get to steady state commercial. Um, but I guess I guess that's another big change is we have a lot more commercial biologics out there. The vast majority of what we did in the early days was supporting clinical work. But now, of course, we have, you know, the Humiras and, you know, products out of that, like that out there just churning out, you know, millions and millions of doses. So that's a very different game as well. We've, we've gone commercial, I guess, as an industry, uh, meaning commercial production, large scale, steady state sort of uh, campaign production you know we didn't do any production campaigns in the first you know when i was first doing it if we if we got two or three batches in a row that was huge uh, so yeah lots of lots of changes looking back on it and and one of the one of the questions i often ask my guests and i'm going to ask you it so i'm not going to give the game away is is uh i asked them a question about you know their, their past and one of the things people often regret is uh not taking enough opportunity or not you know just you know chanting it early in their career and just seeing where where they take them you strike me as someone roger that's i suppose just taking those opportunities when they've come which is obviously reflected in the types of companies that you've worked for is that a fair is that a fair kind of um comment that you you're very much a person that you see an opportunity and if it excites you you kind of go for it and you don't necessarily ponder over it too much 
I don't worry too much. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's certainly, not, I don't think it's really been a conscious thing, to be honest, Roman. I mean, right, right the way from moving across the Atlantic in the first place, you know, an opportunity, I took it, you know, did I really think a whole lot about it when I did it? No. Did I think I'd still be here 30 years later with an American wife, American kids? And no. I mean, none of that remotely crossed my mind, quite honestly. Um, and it, I, I think it's largely the same with, you know, I'm certainly happy to take an opportunity, a career opportunity, but I, I wouldn't say I had a, it's not as if I had a well-developed and designed career path when I started. Yeah. I just made it up as I went along. <laughs> now that thing, you know, things change as you get older, of course, because uh, firstly, you're you know, much better connected or you've developed a reputation or whatever it is, which allows you to, to make jumps. But uh, I think you've also got to be, you know, for you know, younger people starting out today, you've got to be prepared to to make a jump i mean it's uh, we're, a, we're a global industry now and you know i'm still based in california but you know jump to running a company nine whatever it is thousand miles away in india is is you know it's quite a jump especially under covid um yeah. but you've got you know it's that's you know, to me you know taking business out of it that's what makes life worthwhile right it's uh, taking on new challenges and new adventures and uh, and of course you know a big part of it is having a you know wonderful families to support you in it as well it's not yeah, it's not uh, it's not a nine to five job, that's for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And what what do you attribute that success to? I mean, if, if people are looking at you, Roger, and looking at the not only the trajectory of your career but the longevity of your career in the sector, what is it about your skill set or competence that um, that enabled you to do that? And and on the flip side, I'm I'm also desperate to know what things you still struggle with <laughs> and what things that you're always constantly oh working on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be objective about yourself sometimes, but I think probably in terms of what's allowed it to, you know, to go as it has, has been, you know, honestly, relationships. You know, as as, as the listeners can probably tell, I like to talk. Um, but, uh, you know, developed a huge network and a large number of relationships over the years. And, yeah, you know, we, we work with some tremendous people in this industry. It's uh, We're very, very blessed to be, you know, the biologic space in general, I guess, you know, great people. And, and it's... Uh, even in this space now, you know, you can list, you know, 30 competitors for Stellis, but I guarantee you there's a pretty good chance we could actually work with instead of against almost all of them in various things. It's an unusual market. Um, it's not, it's, it's hard work, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not very often you come into really cutthroat competition in my opinion you may be competing for a particular project but there are always technical issues or whatever it is that make one or other supplier the best fit and there's largely you know not very often much you can do about it if you're the losing party um but again back to the point i think relationships um is probably the thing that allows you to to really has allowed me to keep moving forward i've never had to you know, worry too much about looking for the next job sort of thing in terms of what's still a challenge boy I don't want it to sound as if I've got no challenges. That's for sure. Uh, I think, you know, honestly, I think keep keeping up with the technology in some ways is quite a, quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, but you know, I used I used to read Nature and understand it, and now I'm you know, <laughs> quite frankly, not much chance of that happening. So that's you know, that's a fascinating yeah. challenge, uh, but I think an important one. I think it's important that you know, even if you're in a you know broadly senior managerial or commercial role or whatever it is, I think it's important to keep up with. So, you know, the pace of things is is remarkable nowadays. Of course, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say COVID was a bit of a challenge right now, of course, uh, unusual times. Um, I might just put a little bit more on that one for you. No, no, that, that's fine. I mean, and, and if, if you could go back 
uh, and you know, give give some advice to your twenty five year old self, Roger. What what would you have said, or what would you say now? Oh boy. Um... I mean, phrased another way, do I have any regrets? No, not really. Um, I don't think so. Uh, Good. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I had a feeling when I asked you that question, you were going to say no. That was actually the question I was uh, hinting at before without actually saying it. It's one of the ones that people often say, you know, I'd, I'd I, you know, I wish I'd taken a bit more opportunity. I wish I'd been braver. I wish I'd, you know, um, you know not thought I knew it all when I was 25. But again, one thing just even hearing you and talking about your experiences you know, on a personal level people say yeah i wish i traveled more or this that and the other but you know it's i've been incredibly fortunate i mean the career taken me literally all over the world um you know every part of the world um i think and I, again maybe that's why the question to some extent is difficult to answer because just by let's say by dumb luck really got into a, a marketplace and an industry that's been incredibly dynamic and growing and it's been fun it's been exciting um so it's not as if, you know, I got into a you know, boring, drawn out, you know, whatever situation where I was unhappy. I've been I've been happy all the way through. Um, and it's because it's an exciting market and we're doing we're doing good things for good people and with good people. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I think you used the word blessed before, Roger. I think, you know, for many of us that are in the sector at the minute, whatever capacity you're working within, uh, you know, the life science space, particularly within drug development, it's... Uh, you know, it's, I think we're all fortunate to be in this sector right now, you know, compared to, uh, you know, retail or hospitality or any of the other sectors that have been so badly affected by, by COVID. So I'm certainly very yeah. grateful for, for being in this sector. And I, wa- I wanted to ask how, how your best friend would describe you in three words. Oh, noisy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, best friend in three words. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, you know, sociable, energetic, noisy. I mean, it's absolutely a, a trait that, I, you know, I hear a lot. Um, yeah, I think I'm a fairly considered person under under the noisy exterior. Um, yeah, fair and balanced. Um, yeah, you should really ask my wife. That's when you really get the true answers. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lock the door now and make sure she can't come in. <laughs> I always think when you ask someone that question, actually, if you ask their, if you ask, you know, well, how would your wife describe you and how would your best friend describe you? You might get two very different sets. Absolutely. Of so, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I, I hate blowing my own trumpet with you saying, you know, energetic, pretty driven. I mean, that's, you know, you've, to me, that's, you know, I'm not a shrinking violet here. I, without, you know, you can say that without any doubt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, a word I quite like is curious as well. I, I just enjoy new things and, you know, whether it's work related or, you know, outside of work, it's, uh, I think it's, it's great to remain curious. It keeps you young. Yeah. It's funny because that, that, I mean, I didn't even just have from this conversation with how you talk, like how passionately you still talk about the sector and the innovations and stuff like that. It's, it's clearly within your DNA or, you know, your being that you are a curious person. And I think, uh, you know, as someone that, I think energetic would probably be how people would describe me as well. Um, but kindred, kindred spirits in that sense. So that's, <laughs> that's a good thing. And I just wanted to spend the last five minutes, um, Roger, talking about the sector. And we've touched on a, on a few things already in terms of the biologics, kind of CDMO space and COVID. And I suppose what, what big uh, kind of shifts in trends are, 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 you, are you seeing at the minute? And also interesting to know, I suppose, from a... You know, from an Indian CDMO or an Asian CDMO perspective, how the market's looking uh, for you guys as well? 
Yeah, well, starting with the the sort of the bigger picture, I guess. I mean, before COVID came along, you know, there was you know, clearly a huge interest and investment in, and there still remains, you know, selling gene therapies, basically. Um, you know, we were, you know, and they have those technologies have just remarkable potential for, for humankind, you know, forget the CDMO market, but of course, you know, it, it, all the investment going into it certainly creates huge opportunities for the CDMO space. So I think that was a very clear trend that was, happening uh, and then you know covid's come along of course and and sort of swamped everything in terms of our thinking and what we're doing and where we're going and of course it's important that uh, you know we're all responding to a, what is a you know tragic and really difficult pandemic situation so we're again to, to some extent well while the situation is horrible we're within the cdmo space certainly on the biologic side you know we're very lucky we're able to contribute to you know, hopefully, whether it's vaccines or therapeutics or what have you, and I, I can't go into the specifics of what we're doing at Stellis. Um, it's not public domain, but but clearly the you know the need for um, you know manufacture packaging, you name it, you know raw materials, you know, for to support COVID vaccines, whichever one, and therapeutics, you know whichever ones are to make it to market ultimately, are just enormous, quite mind-boggling. Um, so that is going to have a dramatic impact on our market for sure. I mean, both directly and, of course, knock-on. I read somewhere, I think it was Howard Levine's group had, had done a, a, I'm not sure if it was a detailed survey, but some comment that uh, if you just take some you know, realistic numbers about some of these antibody therapeutics for, for COVID, you know, broadly speaking, you'd have to shut down every mammalian facility in the world um, and switch production to those antibodies. Um in order, to, in order to meet demand. I mean, so, you know, it's not really realistic given that we're making all these wonderful, you know, oncology drugs and everything else at the moment. They're needed as well. But it gives, you know, the, the magnitude of what we're going to need to do here uh, is is enormous. And I think that's the, you know, without doubt, you know, within six months, that's become the thing that's driving our, our market right now. It's a capacity-driven market anyway. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's almost mind-boggling um, you know, what we're going to have to be doing collectively, you know, around the world, across companies. Uh, I think we're starting to see, which I think is incredibly positive, you know, we are starting to see, you know, closer collaborations between otherwise erstwhile competitors in this marketplace to make things happen. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so much, there's going to be so much demand out there that, you know, we have to do that to serve, you know, serve the... Uh, the populations and the patients and the, and the folks taking the vaccines. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a quality there, Roger. I'm just curious, you know, on that word collaboration, it's something I hear a lot in this sector and have, have done for the, you know, 15, 20 years or so I've, uh, I've been in the sector. Have you seen more collaboration? Are you seeing more collaboration today than you did say 10 or 20 years ago? Because it's, it's one of those things that particularly CDMOs talk a good game about collaboration, but yeah. you rarely see it happen in reality. So, just it's it, it's just curious to know whether you're actually seeing some of that in reality now. Yeah, on a personal using personal experience, I think yes, I think there is more. And again, I think a lot of it is because there's just so much demand out there that you know, we have I you know, recently we've just bought in, you know, an opportunity to you know, again without detail to fill some high high viscosity filling work. And it came from another manufacturer who on paper looks like a competitor because they don't have the capabilities to do it. They want to serve their customer by, you know, setting them up with the best delivery they can get, you know, the best time and everything else. And if they're not able to do it, it's in their interest to say, you know, we can't do it, but we know a guy who can. Uh, and we would be the same way. We refer 
business elsewhere if we can't do it. Why why wouldn't we? Um, I think we're seeing collaboration with you know closer vendor relationships as well, partly driven by COVID. We've seen some some really you know, heroic efforts from some vendors to keep keep us all going as well. I think at one point we literally had a few vendors sleeping at our facilities. Um, you know, early early COVID days, but I mean. So yeah, I think I think in general the collaborations out there. I think the the market can support it, and of course technology. Not everybody can do everything for everybody. Um, it's it's you know I while we ourselves you know we talk about end to end, but you know one stop shop has never been really a concept I've been massively fond of. It's great if you can make it work, or if you're a huge multinational farmer and you can you know reduce the number of vendors you're working with across platforms and this sort of thing. It makes perfect sense. There's always a reason that you might want to pick a particular technology or a particular area of expertise or something that isn't available at one vendor or the other. Um, so I think that drives collaboration as well. And then second party, second part of your question with respect to us at Stellar. I, mean, yeah, I was just about to say Stellar, and also just, I suppose, you know, it's a relatively unknown entity for particularly people here in North America and, and possibly Europe as well. Tell us a bit more about, I suppose, exciting things that are on the horizon. I appreciate you can't talk about specific confidential projects, but yeah, you know, what does the opportunity look like for you guys? Uh, sounds like you've got incredible facilities and, and I know, you know, the quality of staff in that part of the world is, is exceptional from my understanding. So yeah, be great yeah, for our listeners to find out more about you. Certainly touching on that last one, because I'm really a, a huge proponent with massive talent pool available of people. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's a massive advantage without a doubt. Um, just incredible. We have, you know, there are there are people there we have in quite junior levels to some extent who you know might be running departments in elsewhere I've been uh, it's really remarkable tremendous academic credentials and then you know it goes on from there I think India in particular we're talking about now you know has built a lot of experience in recent years still some to build without a doubt but I think what we have which is I think differentiates us you know it's hard to differentiate CDMOs at the best of times you know it's, uh, it's as you know yourself working with so many in the market um, you know it's you can talk about capacity and you talk about you know quality as far as I'm concerned is completely non-negotiable it's only a really a negative differentiator uh, but for us, uh, you know, if someone said, what's the elevator pitch? I think it's, well, you know, we have truly remarkable facilities, truly remarkable, uh, put them up against anybody's with global compliance. And we'll, you know, we're, we're proving that with you know, customer audits and, you know, our first regulatory audits now uh, coming along. We're relatively new kids on the block. That's why nobody's heard of us. But, um, you know, we're, we're selling that compliance. We have capacity available and we're doing it from, without doubt, a very attractive cost base. You know, do we expect to be doing, you know, really early phase development projects for, you know, Joe's Biotech here in California? Probably not. That's probably not our, not our game right now, maybe in time. We can certainly do it for companies closer to home, as it were. Uh, but really, it's that ability to, you know, we are going to be, we are fast and we are affordable and we are globally compliant. And at the end of the day, that's whether you're in India or in Switzerland or, you know, California, essentially, that's what it's all about. We've got to deliver the right product at the right time at the right price. So it's not a, it's not a difficult thing to sort of, put on paper, if you like. What is difficult is proving that you can do it. Uh, it's technically incredibly challenging, as we all know, uh, but it's a people business and we have the people to, to deliver without a shadow of a doubt. 
Um, so that's that's what excited me when I when I took my first trip over to you know I got this job a recruiter and all this you know the usual sort of stuff I was approached and I'll be honest I was skeptical so I took my you know I went to India for a while well, I took my you know flight across and, and went to visit the facilities but as soon as I was inside the door I'm like wow this is <laughs> something pretty special yeah you know, they're not uh, they're not selling promises and futures here this is this is real. <laughs> Skepticism is an interesting one. I mean, I, I've had the fortune of visiting quite a few uh, CDMO facilities in Asia. And, you know, even when, when we start working with them, you're kind of like, oh, God, what, I wonder what the facility is going to be like. And I've had the fortune of going uh, to quite a few. And some of the facilities I've seen in Asia are just out, out of this world. And I can I can only imagine that sellers have, you know, is, is along those lines. Uh, it's almost a Western perception that, well, you know, it's on the other side of the world that can't be as good as what we do here. And <laughs> you go there and you're like, wow, yeah, yeah. these guys, these guys know what they're doing. It's a lot of fun. I mean, Bangalore is an amazingly high tech city. Yeah. It's the IT center for India, basically. But it, it's quite, it's fascinating. I mean, it's driving to our manufacturing facility. You know, it's, you know, I'm a guy sitting here in California and North Carolina. You know, you can see monkeys on the side of the road. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's remarkable. Uh, the, the facilities are just, just tremendous. And, and I, I can't say enough, it's people. Um, I don't yeah. care how big the facility is, it doesn't run itself. You need the right people. Absolutely. And my final question, because we are almost out of time and, and honestly, Roger, I could genuinely speak to you all today, all day, but what, obviously you've had such a, uh, I suppose, a, a long time in the sector and Clearly, I don't mean that with any disrespect or anything yeah, like thanks, that. But... Thanks, for, thanks for continually bringing that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. So, uh, what? Don't be. Is, is there is there one is there one thing that has frustrated you in terms of the sector's reluctance to change in or, you know for a specific topic or a specific area that you know that you almost like God, you wish, wish the sector could just do this or you know can overcome that problem? Is there anything that you've and during that time that continues to be a frustration in that and maybe actually COVID is is accelerating whatever that might be because that's certainly some of the feedback we're getting from uh you know previous guests that i've had on the show but just given your uh your experience oh that's an interesting one i mean i this is not not picking on people certainly i and it, in the grand scheme of things, it's something workable. You know, I wish a lot more vendors' equipment would talk to each other. Um, and that's a, it's a really practical thing. But, you know, why the heck, you know, if we can plug our, I, I guess now we can plug our iPhones and our Samsung phones into the same outlets. Um, you know, why the heck can't we do that with our couplings between different technology vendors? That's a that's a pet peeve of mine. Not, not the biggest thing in the grand scheme of things, but that drives me a little nuts. Um yeah, uh, but it's an interesting. Even that's an interesting one, Roger, because I imagine you know if you could harmonise that type of thing within the sector at a global level, that would that would deliver significant uh, time savings and cost savings for for not only the vendor side of things, but also probably the client and the sponsor ultimately. Yeah, and uh, yeah, again, we're of course we're seeing consolidation on the vendor side and the biologics business as well. So maybe those things are coming slowly but surely. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's not a very good answer to your question, though. I'm trying. To <laughs> You've answered all the all the rest, you know, uh, um, superbly well. So I'm, I'm, I'll let you off. It's fine. All right, I'll uh, I'll let you know if I come up with a brilliant answer to that one. <laughs> all right, Roger. Thank you, thank you so much for your time and for, for being a guest on uh, on Molecule to Market. I was uh, so pleased that you accepted our invite, and it's uh, yeah, it's been great to have you on the show. And I'm excited for our listeners to hear your story and find out more about Stellas, and you know, and hopefully get in touch and connect with you on on LinkedIn.
Yeah, it's my great pleasure, Alan. Thanks for having me. We're, we're just so lucky to work in such a dynamic and you know, fast-growing and interesting sector. So uh, I, I'll finish by saying I, I have a 16-year-old, soon-to-be 17-year-old daughter who's very into engineering. And uh, while I'm trying not to push it too much, I keep nudging her a little bit towards chemical engineering because I think that the future is just going to be enormous still. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen anything yet, put it that way. Yeah, and that's a great place to, to end. Thanks again, Roger. Take care and stay safe. Thanks, Roland. You too. Take care. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences. 